0: You're listening to the Perth Property Show. Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am.
1: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host. As always, this week, we continue our suburb update series. Last week, we had Siobhan McHale in talking about the massive growth we've seen in Willagee over the last four or five years. This week, it is another number one agent, and it's a fantastic throwback to episode eight we had Peter Zambody, the number one agent in Mount Pleasant into the studio and no surprises five years later to the week he is still the number one real estate agent in Mount Pleasant talking about how things have gone over the last five years it's really good to look back so we can start looking forward Peter Zambody from Mont thank you very much for coming in mate G'day mate, thanks for having me. Five years, that's insane. A lot's happened. You're a
0: family man these days, you have a kid. That's it. it's a, a bit more structured now, but it's such a nice change, so a lot does change in five years. Not so much in Mount Pleasant, but personal side things have taken a turn for the better. When you say things haven't changed much in Mount
1: Pleasant, I think the outlook has changed quite a bit physically. Mm. Uh, five years ago, you didn't see that many towers. You had Cirque up, Precinct was up, and I think Sabina was going. Yeah, yeah. Granton hadn't been up Riviera hadn't been up There's a few big buildings there Looking there And Sanctuary Mm. for example on Wren Street and Mount Pleasant's just finished as well To be frank The skyline around Mm. Mount Pleasant Has changed rapidly in the last five years With
0: the Canning Bridge precinct plan hasn't it? They just needed to get more infill So I think they chose to really go heavy on one sector Which was that zone Some love it some don't. It does give the downsizers a lot of options. We're selling a lot of the traditional four by twos on the full blocks and the downsizers are moving into the smaller boutique complexes. Before they were had one or two options, the raffles, the very small boutique developments that were scattered around. But now we're seeing trend there's so much more options for them, depending on their budget and you know, amenities, views. So it's good for them. Some people don't like it because of, you know, it, it's a lot more congested and they might have a tower on their doorstep, a bit of overshadowing, but I think on the whole, the smaller ones like the the Ren Straight Developments everyone's pretty happy with those.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to see another sanctuary S come up in a couple of doors. Yeah, two down. down. On, yeah, aren't we? You can see that on the mapping. It's it's a sandpit right now. It's only one thing it can be. Look, the story over the last couple of years, I think, in the Mount Pleasant, Applecross, Dalkeith, Nedlands price point mm. has really been one that has not been limited by demand, but by supply, by mobility. People are not actually being able to move on from their property because they don't have anywhere to go. Mm. Has the advent of... Of the apartment developments that have come through on the Applecross Peninsula soothed that a little bit in the area. You, it's one thing you can't say in that area, and that is that
0: downsizes don't have somewhere to go now. Yeah, you're spot on. Before it was you reach these blue chip riverside suburbs and you want to downsize, but you didn't want to lose your amenities. You didn't want to lose the, the prestige of the suburb that you've... The views as yeah, well. Yeah, the views. So now there are those options. People are still getting their head around apartment living because if you're going from a nice home on a full block, you've got a bit of space, you've got lots of storage, you, you might have multiple cars, caravans. The apartments don't offer that, but they do bring you lock and leave living. They're a bit of a community on the smaller ones. You've got better amenities. So there's pros and cons, but I think that, that demographic, they've got more options now where they can get a lock and leave base and they're not holding their family home until they go to to a care facility. That's what was happening before. They were just staying in the home, getting help. Um, getting very old. Getting man. very old yeah. and and letting things go because they didn't have the option to stay hyper-local.
1: One thing that also came about with the Cane Bridge precinct plan is uh, rezoning to r uh, 60 and we see a select few streets Gaelock Street Bombard Ardross Street oh, nice. Tate yep. these streets around here where we've got an opportunity now to turn that quarter acre property into the townhouse mm. model where it's four or six townhouses how have they been going over the last few years because when we spoke again five years ago that had only just kicked off in terms of the rezoning
0: I think the ones that you've helped with um, have done really well and there's a few more in the pipeline so they do offer more of a a, an option for the younger buyers that want the lock and leave living but have the amenities as well so the ones that we've sold in conjunction with you guys have have gone really well it'll be good to see what the higher spec ones do Um, but i think that's a positive for the area certainly it's probably allowing some of those younger people to get into the market, Mount Pleasant historically,
1: as you've told us before, is a family suburb. You've seen a lot of families grow up over the years and unfortunately the thing that holds a lot of people back when it comes to these price points when you're in the seven figure spaces, mm. it just hasn't been in Mount Pleasant before that many options for a younger
0: person to go and buy something sub one mil. Yeah, nice new double story. You don't need lock and leave. four, five hundred squares, two hundred is fine. So yeah, I think that's a good thing for the area. When we think about Mount Pleasant, we also can't forget
1: places like Ardross, Booragoon, Bateman. You sell in those areas as well. Has the story been similar across these suburbs, or can you point out any differences
0: in the performance space across those price points? Key drivers that we see is really driven the growth on families, and that's on the back of school zones, parks, amenities. It's all really family living and, and all those suburbs offer a lot. So they all, they've all done really well in compared to some other suburbs in the area because of the school zone. Some of them have the dual Applecross and Rossmoyne, which is extremely popular. We'll have lines out the door. You'll double your home open attendees if it's in both school zones. The, the price, if you look at the sales evidence and you don't know the area, if you looked at one side versus the other ones, a dual school zone, the other ones are not, there's a big gap in prices. Is that Bateman? we're talking about? Yeah, and and there's parts of Mount Pleasant, there's parts of Borogoon which hold the dual school zones. Uh And when we get those properties, that's actually not the best part of the area, but it is dual school zone. So we have a lot of the Asian and Indian buyers that will flock to those opens purely because they are really relocating for their kids. You ask, why are you moving here? They're saying, look, we are just basically doing this for our kids. Over the last five years, we've
1: also seen a big shift in interest rates. We've seen a whole story, mm. really. It's gone from about 4% down to 2%. Now, people are paying 6%. Have you seen a sh- shift in the demandability or the serviceability over that time? I would have thought, if I can preempt you, that, that 2020 to 2022 period, you would have seen a whole bunch of buyers you'd never seen before come into the market, simply because affordability mm. it was through the roof. And I would also assume over the last 12 months, especially in Mount Pleasant, you've seen a bit of a contraction of those
0: people who uh, could afford 1.8 and really now are tapping out at 1.3. We are starting to see people come through and revise their budgets because their borrowing capacity has come down somewhat. So that is coming to effect now. But we thought that last year, the back half of it, the market might drop because you know there was the rhetoric of you know this mortgage cliff that all the fixed rates were going to expire and you know no one could, could pay their mortgage now all of our suburbs went up from winter to december and and they didn't just go up they it was, it was like there was like this little mini boom going on again so was like a shift it was a massive shift because everyone was like oh this the back half's going to be slow you know the first half was good, and it just kept going and going and going. And we got to Christmas, we we're like, "Wow, the prices! If you look at what you bought in Feb, March, April, it's gone up ten percent since then." And if you looked at the the metrics, everyone thought it should have gone backwards because people had less money. Mm. You know, less to spend. Less to spend, but it actually went up. So it just shows to us that our conservative areas at that median price point of give or take a million weren't as affected as sub five hundred, which is which is obvious economics. But it it didn't have. We were getting more people through because of the stock levels were so tight, it did the exact opposite that we all thought. Well,
1: we talk about stock levels and no one in this state would ever have put their hand on their heart and conscionably expected stock levels to be well below 4,000 properties on the market, let alone 5,000, let alone 7,000 a year mm. ago, let alone 17,000 we five years ago when we lost spot. Exactly right. <laughs> These days there's you the issue you've got where the dynamic has shifted so much from you really having to work your
0: ass off to sell a property, to now you're working your ass off just to keep the underbidders happy, aren't you? If you're selling the same suburbs and most people don't move too far, so they've generally got their family, close by, friends we see the same buyers in the same suburbs if they're looking most weekends and we're getting multiple offers on everything and sometimes it's in excess of 10 offers so you've got nine people that missed out and i think now for longevity of an agent and and to keep your standing in the community is to make sure that everyone's given a fair fair chance but also they're treated with respect and if they don't get it they're not just pushed to the side so if you put yourself in their shoes there's so much invested energy to try and buy a place emotionally and time so you might not get it and then you're just so deflated so half of my week now is dealing with buyers that have missed out and just keeping them so that if we meet them again, they're not jaded or dejected on, or oh, that agent treated me like I was a piece of chewing gum and I got a fair chance. So it's mm. now not so much to sell the property. I mean, that is one part of the job, but as it's the agent- It's the
1: easiest part of the job, isn't it?
0: There's an art to it, but the market is certainly bridging the gap for most agents in, in these areas. So it's it's a lot of it is about keeping your relationships and, and giving everyone a fair crack at it because it's people don't buy in so often. If they miss out, they remember, and it's how they were treated. So. Yeah, a lot of our time now is is managing expectations of the underbidders and just keeping them... Yeah, in the loop so that they don't miss out next time.
1: Well and, and that reality is important because one thing we do know is that most buyers are sellers and we also know that the thing that's hardest at the moment for a selling agent is not so much the selling it's the listing mm. and if you can't have your buyers on a side who will be sellers in that area, it's a very recyclable suburb as you said, most mm. people stick to their suburb, then it's unlikely that even if you sell to someone, at some point in time they're going to like you enough to want to sell with you, sometimes down in the future as well. You're right, it's all about relationships, continually building that brand of integrity, but respect.
0: Making it, making it easy for a buyer to make a decision, have everything ready, sales evidence, termite inspections, building inspections, easy access to view at 3D tours, floor plans. Make it easy for them. Price guide so they know. Hey, if I'm investing my time, this is in my price bracket. I can afford it. My time is not being wasted here. So
1: talking about being able to set a price guide, mm. I would have thought things have gotten pretty hard for you. I've seen a lot of evidence recently where the conversation we're having privately with the real estate agent is that, yep, this is the price guide from 1.2. It starts to progress through the day, and we're at 1.4 now. When the agent's genuinely saying to me, "Mate, it is. I just don't see how it's worth this." Mm. Surely you can agree. With with me and i'm saying well to be frank this is what we've been talking about for a few years now we're so conditioned as western australians to expect this stagnant price point where things are worth what they're worth the soft serve at mcdonald's has been worth 30 cents for forever. 20 years and now it's a dollar and we go "Oh, what's the value mm. well at the end of the day if eight people put an offer in at 1.4 mil and the guy wins at 1.41 mil you cannot question that this is now the value when places around the country other than Perth have been experiencing this for years now and we're just being fed this harsh reality that the value is the value on a monthly basis mm, now. Mm, it's not something demand. we can be used to like we have been with the Mac as soft serve.
0: Mm, supply and demand and we'll look at we'll do an appraisal and we'll look at all the sales and I always say there's two prices to any home. You know, you've got your mathematical price, like a value, you know, your beds, bath car, you look at the sales evidence and for ten years it was really stagnant. You could pull up, you know, plenty of comparables so how you're here and you're within a couple of percent. But now you look at the data and you try and price something and it's like, it could be here, it could be all the way over here, and, and nine times out of 10, it's it's on the, the higher end with some extra. And that's just because there's good quality stock. It's always got a market. That's why I say, buy the best thing you can because that'll run the hardest. Supply and demand is so low. So it's in, the most difficult task we have is to give a vendor a price point that's realistic without shooting themselves in the foot and underselling it because we're really there to maximize the property price, but it is extremely difficult because all the factors sometimes don't add up to what it sells for.
1: Let's talk about Mount Pleasant a bit more specifically at the moment. Five years ago, we were just rolling into Mount Pleasant being num- named number one suburb for growth in Western Australia in, uh, I think it was 2020, and that demonstrated a lot of value. Uh, the top performing suburbs in that year were Ross Moyen, Riverton, Shelley, Mount Pleasant. There was obviously a real push around the Canning Bridge space at the time. We haven't seen Mount Pleasant specifically hit those top 10 lists since in the last couple of years. Is from a price growth perspective, despite the fact that there's clearly a lot of pressure from a demand side. What do you think the reason is for that? Why haven't we seen the $2 million house mm. selling for $3 million or
0: the $1 million house selling for 1.5? I think there's pockets of Mount Pleasant which have grown really well. And then there's pockets that haven't. It's it, There's a lot of sub markets within the market. I think it, it did quite well. So then it went into a bit of a lull, but there is pockets of the market where if you get some stock, you'll have lines out the door where it's fully renovated or it's a brand new house and it's it's priced well, that will run. But your traditional stock, 80s built family home, it's in a market where buyers will need to spend some money on it and renovate it. And we're seeing the appetite for buyers is ready walk-in stock. And that's what's running. So a lot of the Mount Pleasant stock that's not blue chip river views, um, is that stock that needs some work? Not it's just cosmetic work, but people aren't prepared to do it. We're seeing people want new builds. Or old homes that have been totally renovated and mm. are on point. People just value their homes so much more than they used to pre COVID.
1: I think you're right there. I've seen it across the state at the moment where even if that property is a post war 50s shack that's got the old Jarrah floors, that if you look at the old photos on RP data, you think this is a dump. Suddenly it's transformed into the polished floors and a lick of paint and Delta. a new kitchen, and you think this is still a 70-year-old property here that is on 130 square meters of build size. It's mm. not a big house at all. You've got this, the sunroom out the back still. It's certainly not a house that has a lot of underlying value. It's been fully depreciated, but people are nearly paying new house prices mm. for the 70-year-old house that's been renovated, aren't they?
0: It doesn't stack up, but it's what it is giving them is time. People do not want to do the dog work anymore. Why? They want to move in and get on with it. I think Certain amount of people have made some money and they just want to spend it and then enjoy. Um, people do put a lot more emphasis on their home now. Before it was like, oh, you yeah, got a roof, you know, I'm just this is where I live. But now it's it's people's, it's their comfort zone, it's their safe space, it's where they spend a lot of time. So people want the nice backyards that don't want to renovate, that don't want to do up kitchens and bathrooms, they want to just walk in. So whoever is listening out there, if you've got a property that's that's ready to roll and it's it's done properly it'll be very popular in this market. But something that's got good value, good bones, good area, we're not seeing anywhere near the demand for that.
1: Well, there's the opportunity again. And we've spoken a couple of times now on the podcast about the theme for this year. Lachlan Delahunty put it up. I've echoed that as well. The renovator, if you can buy that house, as you said, that needs a renovation, needs some work and add value Mm. yourself, which is one of the hardest things to do right now, given tradies are so hard to find, and they're pretty expensive for their time, then- There is value. We are certainly seeing an opportunity there for a renovation on a property, as you said, with good bones that's ready for a cosmetic lipstick.
0: All the, we were saying the smart money's on the sidelines at the moment. The the developers that we used to hear from in the suburb are pretty quiet. The inquiries, nine out of 10 are all families that want somewhere to live and need it ASAP. You
1: know what's interesting? I've been scrolling through realestate.com, looking at Mount Pleasant and there are more properties on the market in the suburb than I thought there would be. There's uh, Look, 30 of them are apartments mm. that are just coming on online. But we've still got 20-something fully-detached dwellings there. But the thing that surprises me the most is that nearly all of them are above the sort of 2 to 2.5 mil up to sort of $6 million mm. space. They're not moving as fast as the properties that are below the $2 million space. Mm. Is it an affordability thing? Is it, is it an interest rate thing? Or is it simply the people in that price point don't need to move and are happy to wait
0: a lot of the more expensive homes they are a more mature owner and they don't want to rent so they don't want to sell until they can see what they're going to move into they don't want to rent and they don't want to deal with buildings so there's a bit of a landlock because they certainly want to either downsize or get out or liquidate but they can't see where they're going to go so a lot of that stock's quite stagnant where the transient market from sort of 800 to to mid ones, high ones is is always turning over. Mm. But that two plus, there was a, a run oh, 12, 24 months ago where that was selling all the time. I just find the inquiry on that, it might be affordability but a lot of them is the downsizer that's going to sell but can't see where they're going to go that's local. So they just think this is too hard. We're going to sit tight. So, we need more stock coming, which will then open everything up and then it will flow a little bit smoother.
1: Mm. Well, this, this conversation is really enlightening because uh, it does show to everyone listening the different stages in the cycle that different suburbs are at. Mm-hmm. And within the suburb, again, given Mount Pleasant does th- represent price points from six, seven hundred grand for a villa all the way up to six mil. Uh, sitting ten. or even more right sitting Cross on the esplanade ten. there yeah. so uh, you can see the different patches within the suburb that are doing well and the, the patches that are a little bit stagnant and slow talking about doing well you've got a, an anecdote or two for us on properties that you've been selling very recently that only a couple of years ago mm-hmm. were significantly lower in price this price point, I think, represents that. Go for
0: it. Yeah, circa two years ago, we sold a on a main road in Ardross. It was a rear property, and, and rears are never that popular. Main roads getting in and out of your driveway is quite difficult. Single garage, very well presented, but we sold it for six ninety five. Circa two years ago, over the weekend, fifty groups through, well over a hundred people through that in thirty minutes on a forty one degree day six offers we could have gone to you know 10 plus and you're selling well above the guide part of of mid eights and it went into the nines but two years ago that was selling for 6.95 they've barely changed it they've literally painted pulled a couple of pelmets off and put some mulch on the garden. And that just shows that that market and everyone that was coming in, they were young families and they were buying based on the school zones and the amenities. So that's the push from the bottom, which is then um, filtering through. But that sub one million market in a, in a inner city suburb is mental. This perfectly represents, I think, the outcome of
1: what's been happening across the state at the moment. The last couple of years, Based on that affordability theme, what we've really witnessed is a compression up from the bottom all the way down to your cheapest suburbs in the city of Armidale and the city of Quinana, where properties were selling for 200, so now selling for 450 now. Mm. That filters all the way through because someone eventually goes and sits there and says, Hang on a second, I'm spending 400 and something grand in Camillo or Lita. Or Aurelia, when a couple of years ago it was two hundred and something Mm. grand. Uh, If I'm spending this money here, I may as well pop up to the next suburb. Let's say it's a Thornley, Wellard, for example. And then those people start pushing up, and then it filters all the way through to the point where you get to Mount Pleasant, Mm. one of the top suburbs in WA. And they're thinking, "Hang on a sec. I was looking in Willagee, for example." $600,000 Six hundred thousand dollars a couple of years ago. It's now at eight nine hundred thousand dollars. I may as well be in Mount Pleasant mm,
0: for a hundred or two hundred more.
1: Yeah, and I think that's exactly what's going on now, where you see that price point run of that compression, nearly pushing people to shift up a demographic in their housing expectations.
0: That's why we we're very pro on Mount Pleasant in the next couple of years because the feeder suburbs or the surrounding suburbs like Cardinia, Ardross, Melville, whatever they are, they are basically at the same price point and you don't have the name. So people will start, like you were alluding to, there's not much difference between an Alfred Cove price and a Mount Pleasant price. They will go to the Mount Pleasant for the long-term capital growth. Well, historically, there
1: should be right? There should be that delineation in prices between your Mount Pleasant to your Ardross, to your Alfred Cove, to your Adedale. You go further down towards your Bull Ragoon, your Melville, your Bateman, your Brentwoods, uh, Winthrops. The prices have compressed up so much mm. that there really is not a lot of delineation at all. And people are going to start getting wise to this and think, well, I may as well, because this is my opportunity. If I'm going to have to spend this money here, I may as well spend this money in, in Mount Pleasant. Mm. Couldn't agree more. And I think that's where we're seeing the precipice of the cycle again. We've seen a real run in the third and fourth quartiles over the last couple of years. The first and to an extent the second quartile has been left on the wayside since interest rates have have moved and since... That push has pushed people towards the third and fourth quartile. So that's a poignant perspective bringing you in today to talk about Mount Pleasant because we, I think we are on the precipice of seeing suburbs like this. Like having another it, run. Having another run like, for example, Netherlands, Adderdale, Dalkeith. They've sort of been left on the wayside for the last 12 months mm-hmm. as everyone and else has been moving. They have been, you know, and that's yeah. something, a story that I don't think many people have been talking about.
0: People, they look at the market as a whole, there's a lot of markets within the market and... You would have thought a suburb like Mount Pleasant would have had a lot more growth behind it like it did a couple of years back when we were in here, but it hasn't. It's been the surrounding cheaper suburbs, which have jumped considerably, putting the prices on those up across Mount Pleasant pockets.
1: I would have thought amenity has improved in the last few years in Mount Pleasant as well. When you have more people coming in to support more small business and cafes, What's life like along the cafe strips on Ardross Street and Canning Bridge and those sort of areas?
0: I remember when Mont started, that was a sleepy suburban little street. And there was like a hairdresser and an old IGA with holes in the wooden floorboards. And it was a strip that no one would go to unless you lived down the road. It was like your little suburban secret street. And now it is the most popular little street on a weekend. I don't even bother trying to get a coffee at the coffee shop because it's 30 minutes You can't get a table. You can't even get a car park. It's that popular that the supermarkets have put paid parking now in their car park. And this is a suburban street in the heart of Applecross. So it's a beautiful lifestyle amenity. Um, It has gone from yeah a sleepy little hollow to a bustling little cosmopolitan street, which is fantastic to be based on. That's why we love it there. Um, But that brings people but it's now it's too popular
1: well i guess that's what the nimbys, what the locals would be saying straight up complaining about and saying look we told you if you put apartments here and here it's going to be mm. too popular and we're going to suffer that is the necessity of progress when it comes to having the best amenity suburbs in perth we all need to share a bit more especially when we're going to be having ninety thousand people a year coming into our state
0: i think this is going to be an interesting year no one knows i mean last year everyone thought the market was going to cool it didn't it went up considerably um, this year we've got so many people migrating what we found is during 2020 2021 the builders didn't do a lot a lot of those construction progress are starting to come out of the ground or or nearly finished now so there's going to be more stock you've got the the migration it's just going to be very interesting to see what happens with prices Reba come out yesterday and said 10 percent growth forecasted for the year yeah it's it's kind of watch this space but let's hope we have another great year but stock un, unravels and it's a bit easier for people to, to relocate to upgrade to downsize more choices is just
1: well look the days on market in mount pleasant is still only 14 days as you said the pressure is still there the number of buyers is still there i'm very interested to see number one agent peter Zembody, how far you can push the price this year in your suburb that you clearly, very clearly have had a strong grasp on for many years, based obviously on the great work you do. Let's see if we can get Mount Pleasant's price point right up in that top 10 this year. Challenge accepted, mate. Peter Zembodi from Mont Property. Thanks for coming in. Cheers, mate. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show.